Welcome to the 32nd episode of Chelsea Against the World, the podcast that brings together an American and an Englishman to discuss all things Chelsea Football Club. I'm your host, Manny. And I'm your host, Simon. Manny, three episodes now we have talked. We can talk about a Premier League win for Chelsea. It's just, and, and two wins in a row we've had. Oh, yeah. Since our, since yeah, our last, since our last episode. episode. Yeah, two wins in a Maybe row. Maybe we're the problem. This is a streak <laughs> right now, right? We're on a streak. It's it's amazing, man. I mean, it has, it's just a good feeling, you know, being able to record right after a victory. It's better than the Sulkfest we had in the last episode, you know? Um, the, hang on, the last 28 episodes. That's true. It's very true. <laughs> that's very, very true. In our, our second ever episode, emergency broadcast, Frank yeah. Lampard gets fired. Now we're on the 32nd episode. And we finally have a third victory. Isn't that oh, amazing? I think that's, yeah, the first first win in the London Derby for a long time as well. Yeah. So I guess every 10 episodes counts as a win, right? So yeah. we won't expect our fourth victory until our 41st episode. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> so probably mid yeah, like, so December. A, let's just do an episode a day for the next couple of weeks then. <laughs> Get that out the way. How, how was your weekend, buddy? Yeah, it was good, man. Yeah, I had a really nice weekend. We actually spent some time together on Saturday for the Nashville Soccer Club in some pretty high style. Uh, that was interesting. Yeah, we were very, experience. very uh, fortunate uh, to be invited to a suite at the Nashville SC game against um, the Seattle is it Sounders. Sounders, Sounders yeah. yeah, fight and win. Yeah, what a dismal game that was, though. Honestly, I know you've you've stuck it to me previously for exaggerating. And <laughs> yeah, <hyperbole>. exactly. <laughs> Honestly, that is one of the worst games of football I've ever watched in my life. It was just... It was so bad. I mean, it was nice that we were in the suite and, you know, being able to drink and eat or whatever and just, you know, watch... We had the Tennessee game going on at the same time. And so I had that on my little iPhone in the middle of the game. But it was a a nice atmosphere in the suite, but it was just an awful, awful game. And we're getting... For the listeners out there, it's towards the end of the MLS season and we clinched the playoffs that evening not by us drawing that game but another team lost or whatnot so Nashville sees in the playoffs and they're doing something different this year I don't know if you heard about this but the first round is a best of three yeah it's like the NBA how does it usually work for the MLS for it's just one game you know seated and you go to the team that's away and basically uh you play one game and that's it but I guess with Apple coming in they wanted more playoff games they want to make more money and they asked the MLS to change the format for the first round to be a best of three, which may work in our favor. Honestly, we're a very – this Nashville SC team, we're not a very good team in the league, but we're a good cl- uh, um, cup team. Cup team, like Tuchel's uh, Chelsea yeah. you know, years ago. That's what this Nashville SC team reminds me of. Very good on the defense, can do a counter goal with Surridge and with Hani or with Fafa. Uh, up top, and then Schaffelberg coming in in the second half can provide that sp- speed on the, on the on the ends. And I think that's this team is made for the playoffs, but not very good throughout the season. They're, they're not the Man City. No, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's interesting actually. I think you've got a very good point on that, and I think that would really shone a light. So obviously, for listeners who are not so familiar with the MLS and Nashville, the Nashville Soccer Club, but. I don't know if you remember us talking a few episodes ago, but they got through to a final um, in a new tournament called the League's Cup, which was a very exciting run to the final, actually. And I think they played against teams probably better than them for the majority of the way through. And I think, like you said, very much analogous to Tuchel's Chelsea, where we probably weren't the favourites in a lot of those games. But you 
have the ability to set up in a way that you can counterattack and utilize the strengths that you have. And Nashville's strengths is the counterattack, like the pace they do have and the skill on number 10, Hani Mukhtar, was the MVP of the MLS the last two seasons, right, I think. Um, and right now they're playing against teams with low blocks. So it's actually quite similar to the frustrations we have with Chelsea in terms of watching them try and set up against these teams. And I think you could feel... I've, what I felt from watching the game on Saturday is that this team knows that they're going to be in the playoffs and they didn't push themselves probably as hard as they could have done. I have to say, and I wasn't the only one in our group of people who were sitting in that suite, those seats were so comfortable, I did almost nod off a couple of times. Yes, true. Very, very <laughs> it was true. very, very comfortable. And I was like, well, nothing is happening here, so I might have a little, a little snooze. No, it was a great Saturday. We kind of hung out at one of our friends' house beforehand and we went to a pub afterwards and then yesterday was a day of rest for me and then today was work slash game day yeah um off the back we're a few hours after chelsea beating fulham at craven cottage 2-0 it's a derby win yeah and uh, as you mentioned when we opened the difference in attitude right now from where we spoke after the aston villa defeat it's probably the polar opposite, I would suggest. I think we didn't record immediately after the result on the last Sunday against... Was it Sunday or Saturday? It was Sunday, wasn't it? Against mm. Villa. And I, I'm really happy that we didn't because both of us, I think, were in a real existential crisis moment with Chelsea. I know it transpired a little bit on the last episode, but today was a very important game for not just the Chelsea squad, the manager, the team, but I think for the fans, I think more than anything else. And... I feel real sense of relief and happiness that we got the three points today. Yeah, and just coming off of the other victory against Brighton in the Carabao Cup, um, that was also a pretty big win. You know, we could have been down a man in the first half. Yeah. Obviously, we should have been down a man in the first yeah, half. Definitely. The referee, Thank goodness for v- no VAR. Yeah, right? and that referee was just horrid in that game, and we can talk a little more about that in this game as well. Uh, but when I saw the lineup for today's game, I was – quite impressed you know we kind of stressed the importance of Cole Palmer starting and he finally got a start in a Premier League game so it's nice to see him there in place of Sterling yeah you know Sterling on the bench and then Brogia of course was going to start you know he had some minutes in the game last week but with Nico Jackson getting his accumulation of yellow cards which is quite ridiculous by the way let's be honest you can't have five yellows in the first six games yeah lack of discipline there from yeah. his point but they, again that's the learning the curve right and then uh, Mudrik, again, we always talked about the key to get Mudrik going is giving him a bunch of starts so many games in a row, and that confidence will come. We saw that in today's game. And then what I thought is probably our strongest midfield rotation is when we have Caicedo, Enzo starting with Connor up front. Obviously, that think that will change when Lavia gets a little bit healthier. Uh, but that midfield was strong, and then we had um, center back Silva and DeSassi, Cucurella, the new Aspilicueta on the right side, right? He's like He's invert, inverted fullback. What a revelation that is. Yeah. Have and, to give uh, manager credit for that. Absolutely. And Colwell, who is not our <laughs> fullback playing left center, left fullback, uh, but was fantastic today. What did you think about the lineup when you first saw it? You know what? I was really relieved. I think that there was noises. I mean, you have to take this with a pinch of salt on Chelsea social media anyway. I think there's a lot of catastrophizing and probably overemphasis of importance on certain things, but... I think everyone was ed adamant today that we had a really good result in the second half against Brighton in midweek and Potter was just going to revert to type and play players out of position and not build upon the strengths that he saw in midweek. But he did that. He did that. Cole Palmer starting today, I think, was something that 
the entire fan base wanted to see. Um, and the rest of it, I think the Mudrick thing as well, I'm really happy to be proved wrong on that. He has been given a real run of games and we're seeing the, the fruits of that labour coming through. Obviously picked up a knock, come not coming out the second half, but it doesn't sound serious at this point, thankfully. But I was very, very pleased with the lineup. I think in terms of the injuries and suspensions we had, I think it, and the strengths that we saw against Brighton, I thought it really... It was consistent with that, which is really pleasing to see. And I think I was very, very happy that the manager stuck to his guns on that and played it, played it the way he did. Yeah, and the beginning of the game, we were sort of on the, um, the forefoot in the beginning. I think Broge had an opportunity to score. You know, was he offside? I don't know. But, you know, there's he should have had a shot on target. I think he knows that as well. But the fact that he's able to control the ball and kind of get around the keeper and try to, you know, try to slide into the three defenders in the box... Uh, I thought it was good because it showed that we were willing to, you know, take it at him in the beginning 15, 20 minutes. And then the first goal came. I mean, incredible pass by Colwell, huh? I can't say enough good things about this kid, man. Like, I, I think I might have raised some skepticism with some of our fans here in Nashville, me raving about him. I've followed him for quite a long time since, not just at Brighton, but his journey with Huddersfield as well. And I keep quite a keen eye on what's happening in Cobham in terms of the, the pathways of some of our players. And I can tell you this, Cobham is more excited about Colwell than has ever been any of our players since John Terry. And that includes Reese James. The, the ceiling for this kid is just unbelievably high. And he, he looks like a leader as well. He, he's the first one who ran over to Mudrick. And just let's talk about the goal for a second. That ball for him was just inch perfect. He's not a, he's not an actual left back as well, and the way he adjusts he adjusts to move his way through, I, I I just I rave about him so much, and I, I feel that we are just seeing the start of what a player this kid is. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you saw before before even Cole uh, got the ball, Mudrick made a run sort of in the center uh, part of the pitch, and it kind of drew the defender there, and so he left a lot of space on that left side for Cole to receive the ball and run through that space, and then Mudrick boom, darted in between both center backs, got in great position, had a good chest of the ball and got to his feet and put it right in between the kicker's leg. It was a great run as well. I think yeah. we have to focus on that. It was His movement was absolutely spectacular. And I think that we've been frustrated about his lack of thought in his movements and his ability on the ball. He That looks very, very intentional. And he pulled it off brilliantly. And I'm just really, really happy for him. He, look, he looked like a, the weight was lifted off his shoulders from that first goal. And understandably, the level of criticism that he's been getting, not from just our fan base, but like the rest of the footballing world, it must have played heavy on his on his shoulders. So really happy for him. And what a, what a first goal. And then not even, what, 60, 80 seconds later, uh, you can see Simon and I spoke about this at length in the last podcast. And before, our... What's very unique about this team being so young in talent and these kids have like motors and will run throughout the whole day. And then we'd always talk about Pochettino's conditioning in the summer and how much these players will be running later on in the uh, in, in the season. But the counter-pressing is unreal when you have folks like Broja, Mudrick, Connor, and Cole Palmer there, you know, and that's what led to the, to the second goal. Cole Palmer pressed. Tim Ream had nowhere to go. You know, he'd try to pass it to the defensive mid. He couldn't get there. He couldn't pass it to this other center back. And he's like, all right, I got to go maybe get to Willie Ann. And Cole Palmer's there and just got possession and put it right into Brosia. That's the difference, actually. I think you saw, you saw that against Brighton with the assist that he got for Jackson's goal and should have got for the second goal that was wrongfully disallowed. His ability to 
pass with with composure under that pressure when he's high up is very, very, very different to what we've got in other areas of the pitch. I feel that he does remind me a little bit of Foden in terms of the way he plays, his ability to, to move past players. But I see a bit more composure from him than a lot of other players. And the speed that he managed to track the ball through to Brozier, that, that goal was all on Cole Palmer. And yeah, I was very, very impressed with him again. I think we saw flashes of him. He's just joined the team. He's still very young as well, like 20 years old, right? Hasn't even made it into the England setup yet. Still part of the under-21 team. And just to be thrown in there, I think we we should be really excited about this kid. And he, he did really well. And I'm so happy for Broya. So happy for Absolutely. him. Absolutely. Especially his injury, you know, yeah. you expected to have some playing time. Got injured right during the World Cup. I think he was like it was like one of the games that we played during yeah. the warm up in the World Cup, and got hurt. You know, it was just awful, awful. And then seeing him come back and getting a goal um, during this Premier League start was was really really nice, especially with the time he'll have to play a little bit more now with him and Nico Jackson splitting yeah. time as a center forward. It's and a good problem to have. Absolutely. What did you think of his overall performance outside of the goal? I think it was great. I think just the fact that you know he didn't have much rust. You'd expect a person coming back starting for the first time in a Premier League game to have some sort of rust. I know he started, he played a few minutes in the last Premier League game and also in the Cup uh, against Brighton. But the fact that he started today's game and looked like he was been playing for the whole summer and uh, and had a good relationship with both Cole Palmer, Connor Gallagher, and Mudrick already was nice. And that will actually get better once he, the games go on. He looks very good outside of his goal. Yeah, he, he looks immensely powerful and quick and intimidating. I yeah. think he was really a real presence up there. And I think the defense's la- defensive lapses from Fulham probably emanated from him. I think he gives them a lot to think about. And I know we've, we talk about this, like missing our physical presence of Didier Drogba and Diego Costa and what an important element they were to our team, our successful teams in the last 20 years. You can see the attributes that Broya has and why he's thought of so highly. And I just... I hope he can, and I'm really happy that we didn't rush him back actually because he looks fresh now. I think from the noises that I heard that he, if Chelsea were in the position like they were last season, they might have rushed him back in the first couple of weeks of the season. And I think right now we're starting to see why they didn't and maybe that was a, that conservative decision was the right one in this in this instance. Yeah, and only 22 years of age, so I think he has a lot to prove uh, in the next few games. I know Nico will probably come back in the next game uh, against Burnley, but I, I would we can talk about who we'd want to start in, in, that, in that next game, not knowing what Brozier's injury is. I mean, yeah, he yeah. came off uh, this game. Um, had had another opportunity right before half, um, didn't didn't ca- uh, capitalize, but they also had an opportunity as well. And then we saw, starting before we came back in the second half, Mudrik came off. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I think he picked up a little knock, didn't he? And at this point, I think... If we want to get him flying, if the, he did pick up a knock, I think it's a good decision to 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 take him off in that instance when he got his goal, and we have a capable replacement of Matson who did play quite well yeah, when he came. But were on. you surprised that Matson came in above Sterling? No, not on current form. If you look back to the Brighton game, Matson was excellent against Brighton, and Sterling has not been. Yeah, the last few games, and I think when I mentioned this last pod, my I, I will. I've been a big fan of Raheem Sterling and I want to give him patience. I think when everyone is fit and if everyone starts firing, I think he's going to find it difficult to get back into this team. And I think that's justified. I think if we and we mentioned this last time, if 
If the movement is to go towards youth and build for the future, Sterling is a 29-year-old guy who's on uh, £300,000 a week who has not been playing in the way he should be. I'm awful. I, I thought I was really, actually, I was really pleased when he brought Matson on instead of Sterling, really, which is a bit of a, a bit of a turn up for the books on that one. What yeah, your thoughts? No, and I, when when Matson came in, I I didn't know if this was gonna be the same back four that he was playing with, or if he was gonna slide Matson in and left uh, wing back and moved Cole uh, back in the left center back and have Silva in the middle and Desasi in the right, playing a back three or back five to be a little bit more cautious and interrupt two goals. But no, he let Matson play in the left wing in Mudrik's position. Just let him do what he wanted to do, and I thought that was great. You know, uh, we did get a little bit of conservative there in the in the second half, especially when Fulham made their changes in Brandon, Iwobi, uh, and uh, Vinicius. I thought we were playing a little bit more cautious and a little bit more defensive, and had a good save. Um, you know, I think was it Vinicius had a chance, and Sanchez yeah, yeah. was in good position and, and made a good reactionary save. Um, and then the ball went right at the keeper, but still, Sanchez is getting a lot of hate before he signed with Chelsea. But I think he's done phenomenal so far. I mean, it. Just look at the numbers. The numbers do not lie. He was in the team of the month last month, wasn't yeah. he? Like the amount of clean sheets, got the t- most amount of clean sheets in the Premier League for a goalkeeper. And listen, I understand the concern when we signed him. His form dipped dramatically at Brighton last season. But there's, again, the age he's at is 25 years old for a goalkeeper, is not old. And his ceiling is very, very high. And I think there's an area of our fan base that would rather be proved right about him than actually give him props when he's doing well. And I find that concerning because especially the goalkeeping position, it's a position position that's absolutely built on confidence. And the way that you bring confidence in your defence, you bring confidence in the fans around you. At Stamford Bridge behind the Matthew Harding side, I can tell you, sitting there for 20-odd years that I did, that goalkeeper... The tone of the the stand comes from the goalkeeper and the calmness that he brings around it. So Czech and Courtois did have that all the time. Kepa never had it. I think Mendy had it for a while. Sanchez is going to get there, but I think we need to be supportive and like just look at the facts. Like his, his distribution sometimes is not great, but there's areas of goalkeepers like it's very few, few goalkeepers who were perfect the entire time. And in my mind, he claims the ball very well. And saves and his positioning is very, very yeah. good most of the time, which is the primary responsibility of a goalkeeper. His positioning on set pieces is fantastic. Uh, it's, it's a stark difference between him and Kepa. Whenever Kepa was sort of uh, playing against a set piece, whether it was a corner or something outside the box, you know that there was a chance for a header to get in or a shot to you know, deflect off or whatever because Kepa wouldn't go out and chase the ball. You know, he'd let his defenders do that. Where Sanchez is very aggressive and will grab the ball in the air, will put himself in a position to fist the ball out as well. That's something we didn't see with Kepa. We saw that a little bit with Mendy, but not with Kepa. And that's what I appreciate about Sanchez. We talked about in the first game. Just seeing somebody come out there and grab a ball in a corner is amazing. I like the fact he doesn't hide. Yeah. I think that makes it, like, even if he makes a mistake, the next time he has the opportunity to come and claim the ball at a corner, you'll see him there. And he's his height is such an advantage. Yeah. And he's incredible wingspan as well. And I just, I, I think there's areas of our team to criticize at the moment. And to me, the goalkeeper is not the problem with yeah. us currently. And it hasn't been this season in my view. No, I mean, even the games that we've lost, we could have lost by a lot more if it wasn't for his saves. My only concern is I think the distribution, but I think that can be worked on, yeah, you know, with the goalkeeping sure. coach. And I think, um, you know, we, we, Chelsea, as you saw today, likes to play it out the back. 
and against teams that press our defensive mid, that's where we're going to have some difficulty. And I think they were doing that in the second half when, when um, Sanchez was trying to get it to Leslie, when Leslie came in as a defensive mid. And that's just something that the that the defensive midfielders, both Caicedo, Leslie, and if Enzo's coming back, they have to be and mindful Lavia, of. When, and when yeah, and Lavia, they have to be mindful that if a team comes and counter presses, they got to know to toss it back to him or get it back to one of the fullbacks. There's two players that I want to talk about because I think we both have been critical. Maybe that's a diplomatic way of saying it. In the last year, first of all, Mark Cucurella. Resurgence. Two games in a row, inverted fullback. Just reminds me of Aspilicueta when he got moved over um, that one year and just played phenomenal. And this is what Cucurella has been doing. Man, he was he was a dog in that game against Brighton. He was all over the pitch, tackling, winning balls back. You know, he shut down uh, Matomo. You know, yeah. on, the, on that side, and he did he did an equally impressive job against Willian today. As well. Yeah, there was a moment in the first half where he took out two of their players at once, yeah. which I was like, okay, he's going to get a yellow for that. I don't hate it because like his energy levels and it just it, are very very high these last two games and he looks like he's got a point to prove and you have to give the manager credit for the, getting that out of him because I thought he was a lost cause and maybe shifting him into a position where he he needs to think about what he's doing he has to have hyper focus if you're playing out of position right and some of the mistakes that I think he made last season and in pre-season were becoming because he wasn't concentrating and he has to con- when you play Matoma in your weaker position against Brighton, you have to be on it for 90 minutes. And he was. He was fantastic against Brighton. And our right side today looked fantastic. Him, Gallagher, Palmer. I think they just shut down Willian Pereira and Robinson on that left side of Fulham. I think yeah. they played fantastic. And, you know, it's, it's crazy because we thought that it would be a drop-off when Gusto got his red card. Okay, he's out. Reese James, obviously injured. Who's going to be our right fullback? And both of us thought maybe DeSassi would play there. And Cucurella just fit, just fit in perfectly. Yeah. You know? Sensational. Great couple of performances. And the other player that I want to talk about is Connor Gallagher. Absolutely. We Listen, we Simon and I have been very critical on Connor. Um, but today he was, even against Brighton, uh, just a man possessed. Yeah. All over the pitch. I mean, he was running nonstop. He just looked, I mean, what won us the game, I thought, was our midfield. Caicedo, Connor, Enzo were just amazing in that midfield, and they just destroyed Fulham's midfield. Just bust it from minute Which one. Which is funny because pa- uh, Paulini is a good player. You yeah, know? they made him look very, very yeah. average. And it, it was it, it was just impressive. I mean, they were getting the ball out, no issue. They were able to counter press and then win the ball back, and then boom, get it to one of their wingers on the right or the left. You know, got it to Brogia a couple times, and they were able to even just pass it back and be safe. They were all over the pitch. Yeah, I. We'll take my hat off to Conor Gallagher. I don't wear a hat. My head's too big. But I would take my proverbial hat off to Conor Gallagher. I think I he played a little bit more advanced today. And that high pressing when against defenders, his energy levels, wow. And I think it works when you have a player like Cole Palmer up there with him. Because his ability to win the ball back and shift it to Palmer... Palmer's so much more cool and collected on the ball who can pick a pass under high pressure. And having a player like Gallagher next to him who is relentlessly running and harrying defenders. And I I made this point to someone a couple of days ago. I would absolutely hate playing against Conor Gallagher. I would hate it because he wouldn't get a minute, seconds rest throughout the entire game. And 
I, I, I always want him to play a bit more intelligently. And that's that's my big frustration with him is that he is such an impulsive player and his energy levels, he feels like his feet move quicker than his brain a lot of the time. But I think... Like Mudrik. Yeah. And I, I, you have to give him credit where it's due. I thought he was absolutely... I think probably the highlight of our midfield today. And bear in mind, Enzo and Kaiseido were fucking phenomenal yeah, as and, well. And, I, and it, this, this, bag, this tells you what, it, you know, what we're harping on outside... Uh, in the offseason and, and last year, when you have a proper defensive midfielder like Caicedo, it allows the freedom for Connor to do what he does best, mm-hmm. and that just run around the pitch. Knowing you got Caicedo there behind you, if you make a mistake or the ball gets past you, you have an extra defensive help. And that today, you saw the last two games with Caicedo playing in the defensive mid position, you saw how good we've been, and we won the last two games. Let's just talk about Caicedo for a minute. His energy levels are in, insane as well. Yeah. And like, what an engine that midfield has um, with him in there. And it just enables Enzo to have space. And I'm really happy he dropped a bit deeper today because that's where you get the best out of him. I think he's wasted in the number 10 role. And it's just pleasing to see that, that Pochettino had kind of did exactly what we wanted him to yeah, do. Exactly really, right. if we if we wind back a week, both of us were frustrated about kind of putting square pegs in round holes a little bit. And I know he's doing that a little bit with some of the players, but it ties into the way that we play, having Cucurella on that right side. And Colwell looks a bit more comfortable on the left, and he was a lot closer to Mudrick today. And the yeah, way there was no gap, right? Yeah, yeah. He was able to advance forward with the ball. Like so I, think, I thought he won a third goal in the second half. He's like, I want to take this ball, I want to score. You know, yeah, that's yeah. how aggressive he was in the second half. And he just, just the fact that our centre-backs outside of Silva have the energy and the pace to get back on a counter is just amazing. Yeah. Who was your man of the match? You know, it's between Colwell or Connor. Um, I'm going to go Colwell. I'm going to go for Cole Palmer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that was the other person as yeah, well. Yeah. I, I think know? there's there's a number of very, very good candidates today. I mean, just, I think you have to look at the kind of freshness into the team that Palmer has brought and just brings us a little bit of something different and you can see the logic of the signing when you look at our other attacking players and I feel that there's some players in our squad that when everyone is fit they're going to have a real trouble getting back in yeah absolutely Um, I just hope that the Caicedo injury at the end wasn't anything to be worried about you know when he came off in the and that, that happened in the last game right we lost Chilwell in the the 90th in the injury time Pochettino as well. didn't mention anything about his injury afterwards which I think they're managing him a little bit in terms of because he missed the Bournemouth game didn't he and he came yeah. back from international duty I think there's a knock there and I think they're managing him through it the next few games I'd be very surprised if he's injured just okay. the way that, that, that they talked about it and I think Modric, he was limping when he was coming yeah. off he was but there was also eating up time yeah, on the clock as true. well like Enzo went down in a heap and I, I don't hate that. Like, that's a bit of good yeah. in-game management, which is a phrase <laughs> that I can't stand because the whole game is being managed. <laughs> so th- this segues a little bit into a wider discussion that's going on in the football world at the moment. So there was a a moment in the in the game where there could have been a potential red card for a Fulham player. Should have been a potential red card. Not, not, not. I'm underselling that. Yeah. That was about a fucking dead set red card as you've ever Who seen. Who says you can do judo in yeah. Fulham, right? Craven <laughs> Cottage is allowing judo now. <laughs> or jiu-jitsu, you know? What was, what was he doing? I mean, let's face it. If he did that Tiago Silva in the street, he would have been arrested. Yeah, let, let's sort of circle back and kind of... It was Vinicius, right? Yeah, or, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vinicius came in and... Um, 
you can go to our story on Instagram at TEW Podcast, but you can notice that basically Vinicius, I don't know if he was karate chopping Silva in the head or, or just really, I mean, it was like it was a deliberate hit on, on the head. You it know? was an assault. It was an assault, yeah. yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and then he pushed him. Yeah. Just and, to compound it. <laughs> and, and on the backs of VAR in the Tottenham-Liverpool match, which was just atrocious, by the way. Let's just put it out there. It was a fucking despicable. I know, I know. I, know. I realized Tot- Tottenham were world. robbed of a few more goals there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Cucurella hair pull. Now Silva gets hit. <laughs> and nothing happens. It's like as if, you know, Chelsea's foes can come out with their fists in their hands and, and have no issue with, with the refs. No, it was just a blatant red card. And I, I don't know. I would like an explanation for this. I want it, I want them to explain this to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, It was a disgraceful bit of officiating, but something that we're used to now, I think. Just, On the bigger question of VAR, I know we've kind of talked about this in private a few times, but where do you stand on it? So there's two schools of thought, right? I think a lot of people in our group and our Slack channel said that we should just get rid of VAR and go back to the old way. I don't, I don't think VAR is the issue. I think it's the individuals managing VAR. I think you're going to have to separate the Premier League refs and PGMOL from the VAR staff. You have to get a bunch of nerds from Cambridge, Oxford, whatever, hire these individuals, train them to be the VAR overlords, and they have no relationship with the referees. Because when you have a Premier League ref going up into the booth, there's a sense of protection, a cabal, a mafia. Like, I don't want to throw my fellow referee under the bus saying that he deliberately missed something. That's not, that's not how it should work. It should be there to correct a mistake, an honest mistake. That's what. That's how VAR works. The game works. moves so quickly yeah. that mistakes will happen. Absolutely, right? it's it's human nature, you know. In, in in any field, whether it's in sports, in medicine, in law, whatever, mistakes happen, and you have these checks and balances. And that's what VAR is there for. It you know, if you think about it, this is to the individuals that say just forget about VAR. I want you to flash back to the second leg of the Carabao Cup semifinal when Chelsea played Tottenham a couple years ago. We advanced uh, 3-0 goal differential. We won the first game 2-0 at home. The second game was away at Tottenham, and there was no away goals in the Carabao Cup semifinal, right? There were three instances in that game where VAR worked in our favor. Three. There was a penalty given to Harry Kane at the end of the uh, first half. It deliberately out, it was it was a foul, but it was outside the box. But the referee gave it in the box. VAR came back, intervened, and said, "No, this is not a penalty. It's a kick, free kick outside the box." Saved one goal there. Second half, there were two goals that Tottenham sco- scored. On-field officials, everybody called it onside or whatever. Both those goals were, were were overturned by VAR. Mind you, if we had no VAR in that game, there would be no goal differential. Tottenham would have won the game three-one, and we would have gone into penalties, and we may have not made the final. There's a place for VAR when it works. It depends on who's overseeing VAR. That's the issue. You have to have a separation from the Premier League referees and to the VAR officials, in my opinion. Completely agree with everything you said, which is probably boring for the audience. But <laughs> it's, yeah, it, I completely agree. And it's, it, there's, there's some real problems with the discourse surrounding it, which I think I have a problem with. Just saying get rid of it is not a solution. It's not a solution because, like, some of the we, we highlighted this week, some of the decisions in that Chelsea Brighton game without VAR. We, we the, the argument is that the VAR improves the performance of the referees when the, when it's not there. 
it certainly didn't with these two outrageous decisions midweek. But this is the thing. It's like there's resistance to automation or AI or whatever you want to call it in terms of or semi-automation where the, the technology is helping you make that decision. With certain things which are black and white, in my mind, they have to be automated. You have to automate it. You can't have a decision like Lewis, Lewis Diaz being clearly on side at the weekend and it not being ruled out because they didn't communicate effectively. That's just absolutely unacceptable. It's unacceptable. And honestly, the Premier League seems like it's really the main problem where these decisions are coming in because other leagues like in La Liga, Serie A, for example. Yeah, MLS. (laughs) It's administered a lot better. And there is semi-automation in some of that decision-making, which, interestingly enough, the Premier League clubs voted against which is really interesting because that takes away some of this discourse, especially from fucking Liverpool. And this is this is the separate side issue that I have with this, is that especially with what has happened with Klopp, and Klopp is very good at this, and Liverpool have put, like jumped upon it, saying that this is a like, conspiracy against them, yada, 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 yada. Let's just turn the clock back a little bit to not very long ago when Cucurella had his hair pulled in the Tottenham game a few weeks ago, we had an, an official essentially admit that he fraudulently robbed Chelsea of that correct decision because he wanted to protect his friend. That is the definition of corruption. And where did that story end up? In the fucking bin, didn't it? Why is it taken Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool to get two admittedly egregious situations wrong for on against Liverpool for this to blow up. This is all over like daytime TV in England now. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And this is the thing that I think people need to get into their heads. It's not against one team. The the collateral damage of this decision making is making for a worse Premier League product because no one knows what the rules are. No one knows how they're going to be interpreted. And results are being affected by this, which means Premier League winners are being affected by this. Top four is being relegation, more importantly, probably, you could argue, financially for, for clubs. The implications of this being wrong for so many teams is bigger than that. But it's not against one team. And that's what everyone should be annoyed about, I think. Yeah, I mean, just go back to the beginning of the year, right? Uh, the Wolves, Wolves were robbed of a penalty in their first game against Man U. Yeah. Even in that same day where Liverpool uh, got robbed of a goal from Diaz, the next day, Matt Turner should have been, you know, should have uh, had a red card or, had a, or should have been a penalty on him. Yep. Didn't happen. So there has been consistency in VAR not being implemented correctly. Even today, there should have been a red card. So there, I don't believe in this conspiracy that this is all against Liverpool or all, all against, or, you know, it's for one team or against another team or anything like that. It's consistently been implemented terribly Yeah, for these big decisions. And automation, I'm for automation. Think about goal line technology. There was a lot of uh, push against goal line technology. It took mistakes, whether it was Lampard's phantom goal mm-hmm. against Germany, you know, or, or something else afterward for them to say, hey, we had the technology, we don't implement it, now we should. The Premier League and other leagues need to be proactive. That, you know, as much as I hate FIFA, as much as I hate FIFA, they were proactive adopting this AI um automation for uh offside and they were proactive by the injury time yeah and it and they both worked well 
Mind you, they're assholes for having the World Cup in Qatar <laughs> in Russia. <But> Even <laughs> terrible people can make right <laughs> yeah, decisions exactly. occasionally. But FIFA was very proactive in implementing this new technology. But there's such an arrogance in the Premier League with the PJML and, and the upper individuals. They have such arrogance. It's a like ball. It's yeah, a ball. It's, it's ridiculous. And it's going to take a mistake like this, what happened over the weekend, or even other mistakes, where there's going to be a deadly, deadly injury you know, that's just going to cause, you know, it's not going to be called a red card and VR overlooks it or whatever. And that's going to happen, a career-ending injury or something. Like Curtis Jones' challenge. Yeah. That, which is, as a side note, I don't even know why there's a debate on yeah, that. It was a red card. Whether he meant to do it or not, yeah. I'm sure most red card red card offences are not meant intentionally. No, that was but he could have broken his leg, yeah. right? Yeah. And and to my Chelsea fans, I know they're going to argue, well, what's the difference between that and Malagusto? It was, there's a big difference. Yeah. You know, a completely big difference. Uh, but let's not get into that. But <laughs> That was yeah. last week's Chelsea. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but anyways, no, absolutely. There has to be implementation of VAR staff independent from the Premier League refs. That's the only way you'll get it right. Yeah, and also there was... As you, get the nerds. Yeah, exactly. Bring them in, bring them in. Um, get, uh, in, in was it infinite athlete? <laughs> That's what they do, right? Yeah. yeah. Infinite mathematicians yeah. is all we need. <laughs> um, going back to your point, which you said there was resistance to it, and... That's correct. That is correct because there was resistance to the goal line technology. And now we see that it's done in seconds. Literally, they get a buzz a buzz on, the, on their watch, the referee, and they signal it's a goal. And everybody knows now. There's no complaining from any player when that decision happens because they know machine, machines have got it right. Because there's no weird interpretation of what's happened. So the players, I don't watch it next time it happens. Everyone will appeal if it goes in or they think it's gone in or stayed out. And as soon as the decision made, everyone's like, oh. And then they let it go. And that's how it works. It works well. Tennis now uses AI for calling balls in and out now. Everyone, it needs to be used yeah. across the board. It's, it's too, it's, there's too much importance on these games. Too much money invested. Too much emotion invested by everybody. Too much effort by the players for it to be ruined by poor decision-making by those idiots who are running VAR. It's not VAR that's the problem. Well, that was a very, very interesting conversation about VAR. Now, I think we both agree, uh, you know, shockingly uh, about this. That never happens. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Chelsea now. Let's get back to Chelsea. Next game against Burnley before the... I feel like we just had an international break yeah, and we have another, another one coming up. We may, it may be beneficial for us now, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, playing Burnley. Thoughts about that game? I want the same lineup if everyone is fit. And I think Pochettino will do that now. I think the way that we started in that first 25 minutes, 30 minutes, I was really excited watching us. And I know that we, we call ourselves 30 Minutes FC, but the fact that we got those goals to begin with I feel that you have to build on that momentum and like it shows and we still have some suspensions and and injuries of course but if everyone is fit I want the same team and I think if we play anything like we did today Burnley are not good so we have this to get three points This is not your Sean Dice low block Burnley it's a no. completely different style of Burnley. wide open Yeah have you been to Turf Moor No It's uh, it's an that was a very quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I would, I would, no, I, I'm not going to Turf Moor. I live in Nashville now, and that's the most diplomatic <laughs> but way. Like, has your family ever been to tur- an away game? At no, Turf absolutely not. No, and I, I, I cannot think of a single situation why we would, apart from going to a Chelsea away day. Even then, I would be hesitant. Like the ground is an absolute shithole, 
and Burnley's quite far away from London. American so. Chelsea fans love Turf Moor because that's where Pulisic scored his hat trick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Captain America, <laughs> that's baby. That's right. That's right. So what are your thoughts on the Burnley game next week? Uh, I, I think the confidence is there. I, gotta, I think we got to continue with the same team. I, I, well, I hope Caicedo is uh, healthy. I think uh, Nico will be back, but I think you play him off the bench, let uh, Broja start again. Yeah. Develop that partnership with Cole Palmer and with Mudrick. Um, get the same midfield, Connor, uh, Caicedo, and um, Enzo. If Caicedo is, has a knock on him, Leslie can fit in. He you know, he played pretty well in last week's game and came in today uh, for the last 15, 20 minutes and, and did well. Um, play with that again, uh, Silva. DeSassi, center backs, Cola, left fullback, and then the newly newly reinvigorated Mark Gorella, LB to RB. Start him again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a firm believer in football that continuity is king. And I think that one of the problems, big, well, one of the billion problems that we had last season was the lineups kept changing every week. And I feel that Pochettino has been a bit better about that already. And I feel that I think we're finding our feet a little bit after today. You gotta keep you gotta keep momentum going. If everyone is fit, you gotta keep doing it. Interesting enough, going back to last season, there was uh, Frank Lampard was invited onto Monday Night Football today. Yeah, that's yeah. um, there were some interesting comments about the, uh, his time at Chelsea last season. I don't know if you managed to catch anything. Okay, so this is the thing he was basically saying it wasn't a surprise that Chelsea started off sluggish this year, and he, this is off the back of his YouTube um, podcast appearance with the Diary of CEO with Stephen Bartlett, which is actually quite a good podcast. It's interesting, but I love Frank. I love him as a Chelsea player and what he provided for us. And we've talked about him at length this over this podcast over the last few months. But I feel that there's a level of self-preservation that he is doing here and it's no coincidence he's been linked with the Glasgow Rangers job today in Scotland and he now makes an appearance on Monday Night Football tonight when will he learn? I don't know his PR is really good people people lap it up people lap it up like I feel that people he's held in such high esteem by Chelsea supporters and rightly so rightly so that I feel that people have short memories when it comes to him if I was a non-Chelsea supporter and he was being linked with my club as a manager, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be happy. Just like we weren't happy when he took over. But yeah, it's an interesting, interesting conversation. I think he made some remarks about Conor Gallagher, some positive remarks about him um, today, from what I read online. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, I don't want to think about that. We have positive energy. <laughs> Two games in a row. We're going to turf more. You know, yeah, yeah. maybe raining. Maybe dreary. <laughs> it will be raining. I guarantee <laughs> exactly. you. That. It's England, mate. <laughs> and it's Burnley. I think yeah. it's Burnley. Like Three hundred sixty-five days a year. Yeah. No. I. I, just, I mean, Frank. Again, love that. Love him as a player. We both were correct in our assessment that this was not the caretaker that should have taken over um, Chelsea when uh, Graham Potter got the sack. We both thought Bruno should be in the opportunity. And hindsight's fifty fifty or twenty twenty, right? Uh, but anyways, good luck to him if he gets a job. Yep. Uh, but that's about it. Yep. Yeah. Well played, Frank. Chelsea legend. Well, that brings us to the end of episode thirty two of Chelsea Against the World. Again, thank you, listeners, for tuning in each and every single week to our content. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Twitter and Instagram. We are at catw podcast. That's catw podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for future content. Please email us at podcastcatw at gmail.com. That is podcastcatw at gmail.com. 
Thanks once again for tuning in. It was a bit of a brighter episode this week, wasn't it? So let's keep that momentum going. Um, please do give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, especially after after a victory. We want to get as many listeners as we possibly can. So um, keep the faith. I've got my faith back after today. Thank you, thank you Poch. Um, and we'll see you next time after the Burnley game for our next podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs>